For our series of the ADC's Competition Talks with Leading Experts, we have today Emilia Fletcher, Professor of Competition Policy at the Center of Competition Policy at the University of East Anglia. Professor Emilia is also a non-executive director at the UK CMA, the FCA, the UK's Financial Conduct Authority, as well as of the UK's Payment System Regulator. Additionally, Amelia is a member of the Enforcement Decision Panel at Ofgem and recently acted as a member of the Expert Panel on Digital Competition led by Jason Furman. Amelia has a, a DPhil in economics from Nuffield College, Oxford. In the past, she was the Chief Economist at the UK's uh, Office of Earth Trading and was awarded an Order of the British Empire in 2014 for services to competition and consumer policy. So impressive. <laughs> Emilia, welcome to the ADC. I'm delighted to do this Comcast with you. Thank you very much. Emilia, given your broad experience on competition policy, we could speak about seemingly everything, but we have a short Comcast. So let me first focus on your recent work in the influential Furman Report. The Furman Report was developed to discuss the competition issues raised by the digital era, whether the competition policy framework and toolbox are equipped to deal to address these issues. Could you please briefly highlight the key conclusions and the key recommendations that come out of the Furman Report for us, please? We were asked in the Fairman report to think about competition law and whether it was sufficient to deal with the big digital platforms, the likes of Google, Amazon, Facebook, etc. And uh, if not, how it should be changed. We made some recommendations around mergers and antitrust, but actually what we ended up deciding was that we didn't think ex post regulation was really up to the task of addressing the competition concerns that were arising in these markets, which was for a variety of reasons, but partly because actually some of the economic underpinnings as to why we were seeing market concentration in these markets and market concentration being leveraged into new markets was actually as much to do with the basic economics of platforms, two-sided markets with network effects uh, as it was anything to do with bad behaviour, as it were, bad um, kind of deliberate strategic behaviour. And also, even to the extent it was about strategic behaviour, there was just such a wide area and set of issues that it was very, very hard to use uh, ex post enforcement, which is necessarily quite narrow and specific to deal with them. So we, uh, I think the biggest recommendation we made, which we didn't necessarily expect to make when we started, was that we should have a new ex-ante regulatory function with a competition remit, which we called the Digital Markets Unit, um, and we gave it three broad areas of responsibility. The first was to set a code of conduct for a specific set of particularly large platforms which were in a particularly strong strategic bottleneck position in these platform markets and to essentially get them to behave in a way that would foster competition more effectively. The second was more general in the market, so not just for those players necessarily, but was about creating potential for data mobility, so whereby consumers can actually give consent for their own data to be moved from one supplier to another to try and foster switching by consumers or multi-homing by consumers, where consumers can use two different suppliers very readily whenever they want, and they've got the same data essentially in both. We thought that was 
likely to foster competition as well. And the third one was where there are huge data lakes that are really, really important for enabling innovation by putting you know, algorithms that learn from looking at lots of data. Certain players have got access to that data. They other players that potentially have fantastic uh, innovations but don't have access to the data kind of can't develop their algorithms we thought that we needed that body to also think about whether uh, there were situations in which it would be pro-competitive and justified to mandate access to the data to facilitate that sort of innovation. So basically three remits and um, hopefully that would start to really drive competition and even more innovation uh, in these digital platform markets. Very interesting. And also, uh, to some extent, given the expectation that society has on these issues, it closes a bit of the expectation gap between what competition agencies can do and what the society expects in terms of competition in these markets. You've mentioned algorithms in a different context, you know, algorithms uh, that learn from data and that can be uh, used for a variety of purposes. But in the digital era, algorithms are also used for pricing, for pricing products. Now, this raises some concerns on collusion, and the UK has actually a case uh, together with the US on how algorithms may assist uh, collusive agreements, or more generally, how another discussion is about algorithm collusion, algorithmic collusion, and whether algorithms can interact and reach collusion more easily. Uh, even without an intervention to that regard. What are your views on this, uh, Amelia? So I think the UK case was interesting, but in a way a classic case. So what it was classically firms that wanted to collude and they'd just done it through setting up algorithms that were deliberately designed to collude. That is interesting in that it's done in a tech way, uh, but it's fairly standard explicit collusion and the existing tools uh, were able to deal with it. There may be detection questions around the ability of competition authorities to look at and understand algorithms, but the law seems in the right place. I think the more interesting question is actually whether you might see what you might call tacit collusion occurring from algorithms essentially learning to collude on their own without being told to. I think there's a fair amount of scepticism, or there has been a fair amount of scepticism about whether this would actually occur. More recently, however, some a number of economists have been doing experiments fairly simple experiments with something called queue learning algorithms and they have indeed learned to collude they've learned that's the way to make more money maybe we shouldn't be surprised by that um, but it does mean that it raises some interesting legal questions if you set a, a price algorithm up and it learns to collude Whose fault is that? Is that the who you know? Are, do you have a responsibility to make sure your algorithm isn't clever enough to learn to collude? I think the other question is where, for example, on a platform, if all suppliers or a large number of suppliers end up using the same pricing algorithm, um, you seem to have a real common agency issue there. That algorithm again may not deliberately think it's coordinating their pricing but very naturally you might think that if it's trying to maximize all of their profits and it knows all of their prices and all of their incentives and it's do it choosing everything 
you might start to see prices going up. That seems uh, a, a fairly obvious concern. I would have thought competition law is able to deal with that. And I, I suspect we will see case, cases coming through of that sort, but we'll see. Indeed. Now, picking up again on the recommendations of the Furman report, uh, they're very interesting, very comprehensive, very broad. But however, at least from who's listening, they also sound challenging in terms of implementation. So what do these uh, recommendations entail in terms of implementation? What's next in this plan? Okay, so... There is a variety of challenges. One is just an international challenge. So actually, you know, we've made this recommendation to do this in the UK. I think the UK is is just about big enough uh, and important enough as a as a market for these uh, big platforms to get somewhere with this. But actually, I think it would be a, a whole lot better if this was done on, an, on a Europe-wide or a US-wide or ideally both of them basis. I think then the ability of the platforms to just say, you know, we're not going to bother serving your market anymore uh, would be greatly reduced. Nevertheless, I actually think that we've got quite a lot of buy-in in the UK from the platforms to uh, the benefits, actually, of ha having ex-ante regulation. I think they're pretty hacked off uh, with these enormous and very long-lasting ex-post cases with which they say give them kind of no real clarity about what they are or aren't meant to do. Um, so... I think we, we're hopeful that we could do something in, in, in the UK. Um, and certainly the government seems fairly positive about it. Things that we're worrying about now is how you define strategic market status. So which platforms would be in scope for the codes of conduct? And then what should the code of conduct actually say? What would the principles be, the overarching principles? What would the platform-specific rules be, that's going to take a long process of engagement with all of the players involved and probably quite a lot of analysis as well. One of the benefits of ex-ante regulation, though, is you can be flexible. So you could start that process and have a set of principles and a set of rules. And gradually, I think what we'll see is as more analysis is done and as more ex-post cases are also taken forward, the lines will start to shift and, and things that maybe hadn't been allowed will become allowed and things that had been allowed will become unallowed. But that's kind of the nature of ex-ante regulation is you, you can have that flexibility, which is a lot harder actually in ex-post regulation. So I think there there's some of the, the difficulties. There's also difficulties around... Um, on the data side, uh, getting consumers to actually buy into actually shifting their data from one supplier to another. You know, I'm hopeful that that will start to shift as well, but we will we will see. Well, certainly more for the younger generations, I, I would expect. In terms of implementation, uh, there's an example that could be insightful, uh, at least for the recommendation of promotion of data portability, in which the UK actually took the forefront, which is in financial services, more specifically the Open Banking Initiative in the UK, that anticipated the EU directive, the PSD2, the Second Payment Services Directive. What do you think is the experience until now in the UK? What, what lessons may we learn? And where is it going, the Open Banking Initiative in, in the UK? Is it going okay? Is it in good uh, health or <laughs> still in need of more work? I think it's both in good health and in need of more work. Um, so I think that on the supply side, 
it's working very well in terms of there being very large numbers of fintech firms developing new ideas, new apps, uh, the banks themselves being quite thoughtful about how they could utilize open banking to provide their own customers with better services, more customers uh, now having multiple bank accounts so that they can get different services from different banks and still nevertheless work in a fairly harmonious way across those, those banks. So I think there's lots of positives. I think, however, on the consumer side, it is being a little slower. Consumers are a little slow to take up some of the options that are already out there. And we have to hope that, you know, there'll be one of one of these options, one of these use cases that comes through is going to be a real killer use case that really changes the dial so that consumers suddenly get very excited and and all take it up. What we haven't necessarily seen is consumers being particularly nervous about their data, but we haven't done a lot of research on that. We've just seen low consumer take up. So it could be a data concern or it could just be that they haven't seen anything that kind of tickles their fancy yet. In terms of where next, we are thinking about a number of issues that have arisen in respect of open banking itself. So around harmonizing consent procedures, for example, making the whole consent process a whole lot easier. But we're also now thinking about where next in terms of actually consumers would be potentially more excited if it was open finance and not open banking. So if they could have a dashboard that also had their pension and their mortgage and their credit card and everything all in one place so they uh, were able to see a full financial picture and so that that app could start to give them more holistic financial advice as well. So I think that that is, that is the holy grail. So we're doing some thinking about how we might ever get there, um, whether the incentives are right or whether they need a bit of, the, the players need a bit of a prod. Well, certainly in a market that is in such need of competitive discipline. That, so maybe that's the, the holy grail. Mm. Amelia, thank you so much for this Comcast. It was great to be able to listen to, to all these insights that you shared with us. Thank you. Thank you.